Um, good evening, niggas, friends, foes, and people familiar with the show. I am Lee from the D. <laughs> and I'm Shay. And this is the first reality rewind of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, we are going to kick it off with a little bit of white violence. But before we do that, and because we're starting the year off with white violence, um i think it's important for us to have just a very kind calm and peaceful um quick sing-along for all of our girlfriends oh my god bitch every time you just sing along i never know what the fuck is about to happen my girlfriend why are we singing that there through anything i thought it was there through thick and thin thick and thin anything the bitches is there my girlfriends and guess what bitch they about to be down for anything yes they are but also why are we um because after watching this fuck shit re-watching this fuck shit um i needed some kind of black excellence and joy in my life and you pick girlfriends yeah, I mean, if you ignore Joan as a horrible character in person. And Tony. <laughs> and Maya. <laughs> you know, there's a lot to be said about William. I was about to say, and William. <laughs> anyway, it was better than awful. this shit. shit. <laughs> okay, they all might be awful people, but they weren't burning shit down, for fuck's sakes. Correct. Which leads us into today's topic. Today. Um, it is the Woodstock documentary. It's part of a series over. It's called Music TV. Box Woodstock '99: Peace, Love, and Rage. Is what it's called. I'm actually looking at the title on my television right now. So this is the first episode of the Music Box documentary series. I think okay. the one after this was like Jagged Little Pill. Actually, the first one was Kenny G. Oh, was it? Then it was this one, Jagged Little Pill, DMX juice world i can't remember what the if there was another one but i do remember those because i've watched all except i haven't finished jagged little pill and i didn't watch juice world yet um it's it's for me it's a little i feel a little disembodied i guess that's the best way to say it because mm-hmm. when seeing documentaries about like moments in time that I granted, I wasn't at Woodstock 99 but lived through yeah and saw and experienced via television and pay-per-view but still mm-hmm. firsthand yeah it is jarring for me and this very much so was a jarring um so I mean all of these documentaries like this are jarring for me so for me okay so I picked this one because I remember when they announced they were going to do Woodstock 50. And I was kind of like, eh, I don't know. It ended up getting canceled two weeks before it was supposed to happen because they just couldn't get the clearances or whatever else, right? But it made me kind of like my mind revisited 99 like I know there was a Woodstock 2009 like I know that happened but I didn't like that didn't have an impression on me right Woodstock 99 
is a complicated place for me personally because I really wanted to go. No, same. Like I really as a small child wanted to go. I was 16 at the time. I think I was like 12 or 13. I was yeah, I was like 16, 99. I would have like 15, 16. And I was like an angsty teenager. You know what I'm saying? Like I loved corn and Limp Biscuit and Red Hot Chili Peppers. No, same. Like I love these bands. And DMX was there and the roots and like it's like all these people that I genuinely love their music. And I really, really wanted to go. And I was very sad when my mom said, go sit your ass down because you're not going anywhere. Right? Yeah. And not for $150, not in 1999. $150 in upstate New York in 1990. You know what I'm saying? Like, it was like, no, girl, go sit down. Yeah. And it was because me, I've you know this about me. Like, I've always just been a lover of music. I don't care about right. I just love music. And so th- watching this, it was a weird thing for me because a lot of what I saw here contradicted my memories of it. Really? Yeah. Okay. As we go through it, I'll explain it. But a lot of what I... Because I... I watched it on pay-per-view. Like yeah, I Yeah, same. Because I was working at the time. I worked at the amusement park. I worked at, you know, the amusement park in the area. And so I told my mom, I was like, well, since I can't go, can I pay for the pay-per-view? Right? Same thing we used to do with like the wrestling things and shit like that. Like, cause your mama wasn't paying yeah. 60, 70, 100 dollars for that shit. But if you had no, but my dad was to pay for it, it was like sure. No, that was all my dad. Yeah. He was always the one. He was the one who got 94 Woodstock, 99 uh, Woodstock, WrestleMate. That was all him. Yeah, I want I I definitely I paid for the pay-per-view of 99 Woodstock. 94 Woodstock, I always saw in clips. Okay. You know? Woodstock has always been like a weird thing in my house because we always kind of just missed it, right? Because mm-hmm. my mom was five when the original Woodstock happened. And then 79 Woodstock, but she's 15. She's too young. Then there was 89 Woodstock. Well, by that time, she had kids, so she couldn't go. Yeah, Like, who's going to watch the kids? Then there's 94 Woodstock. I'm, like, 10. Like, I know the bands. Like, I knew Nirvana and Green Day and bush like i knew the bands you know what i'm saying and i had i knew their music but i wasn't of the age where anybody would buy that for me and my mom wasn't into those bands yeah no nobody's mother was into those bands no (laughs) and then we get to 99 woodstock and i'm 15 which technically i'm still too young to go just Mm -hmm. because of all the logistics around going but, I think you you had to have somebody that was 18. You had to have somebody that was 18 or older as your shop. Yeah, technically. I think that's what it was. Yeah, it was like somebody had to be 18 because like somebody had to drive there. But they, well, had, they had buses. Okay, so Woodstock 99 took place in Rome, New York, right? And anybody who doesn't know New York, I've actually been to Rome, New York. <laughs> actually recently. 
Um, if you don't, if you want to know the proximity to New York City, it is, give me two seconds. It's 193 miles from New York City. So driving, it's like four and a half hours, right? Yeah, I ain't sure. Not really. So they have, but but I've also been to Woodstock, New York too, which none of these Woodstock festivals have ever, has ever happened in Woodstock, New York. But I've been no. to every city that they've happened in. Like I've been to Bethel, which is where the first Woodstock happened. I've been to Socrates, which is where Woodstock 94 happened. And I've been to Rome. Um, but it took place on like an Air Force base, which already is counter to what Woodstock is or what the lore. I think it's the romanticism that's counter to what Woodstock is. Or what the lore. Even the original Woodstock was like, even that was, they say it was about, oh, it was peace and love. And yeah, only to a certain degree. I mean, still capitalism infiltrated. And this is why. This is why this is so complicated for me, right? Because it's like, the thing about Woodstock as a festival is like, it's all lore, right? Because the original Woodstock is like this super, it was like, no, it was super peaceful. And it was like community and family. Yeah. And da, 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 da. But it's like- It got lifted up. It got lifted up know, to being like the high point of that countercultural exactly. hyperdermic you know, needle portion. It was really a shit show, right? Yeah, no, it was. But then you look at Woodstock 99 and this is supposed to be like, and it's like the lore of Woodstock 99, you know, the little that we still talk about it now because post 99, the world started moving so fast. But it's always like, this was like the epitome of white boy rage. Yeah, like, but it's like it really it it was, but it wasn't. (laughs) If that makes sense, Woodstock was at that at nine at the by the time of nineteen ninety nine, we were moving from, um. So let's say the sixties were the hypodermic needle. I call that period of the late nineties, early aughts, the extreme period. Exactly, everything was just fueled by. Every, white man anger and Woodstock just reflected where American society and media and entertainment was in that moment right because if you think about if you think about where pop culture was in 99 right it's like because by this time Kurt Cobain's dead yeah all the everybody went from sad to angry all the male feminist <laughs> angsty angsty boys like Pearl Jam is kind of falling by the wayside the Google Dolls have changed their sound you know all the like male feminists and all the angstiness of the early 90s is gone and it's yeah. now replaced by like anger and like wandering and looking for a position right it was so, um so white men have this habit musically so if you think about the emergence of punk that mm-hmm. happened at it's like a counterpoint, um, and honestly, was seeped in racism, homophobia, transphobia. Yeah, um, it was a, a quote unquote counterpoint or an attempt to stand up against like disco, right? Mm-hmm. The sound of that late aughts with your corn, your offspring, your baby blink one eighty two, your Limp Biscuit, 
Um, oh my god, who else was out at that time? Uh, Slayer. <laughs> I mean, Red Hot Chili Peppers had their like the biggest album of their career at that time. Yeah, and it's funny too because for them to be, this is just kind of hilarious because for them to be included into that lineup one makes sense but that last album they were transitioning into like this still angsty still angry but it was like a more grown it was like angsty sound yacht rock. And they kind of they yeah kinda, it's like angsty yacht rock remember they did that cover of um ohio players yes for the views and butthead movie but the thing that uh, ha- that has always been interesting to me as I've gotten older, and this is what makes stuff like Woodstock 99 so complicated for me, is because around about, I was talking about this yesterday, around about 96, 97, music got very tribal, right? And it became, because before then, it was like, people just kind of listen to music that they like. You know, it wasn't, yeah, you still heard that, oh, that's white boy music or that's, you know, whatever, whatever. But it was still like, it wasn't weird to walk into a Black house and hear the Ohio players and then Kenny G and then Earth, Wind & Fire and then Hall & Note. Like, that wasn't weird. Just like it wasn't no, weird to walk into a White house. that's a different thing. But because no, that is all like the same sound, you know what I mean? Like yeah, Kennedy but and Hall and Oak but sound. yes, I. But get I get it. what you're saying. It's just those are just people that came to my head. But yeah, it's like when you get to '97 and the really heavy hitting of like teen pop, and because you know that's Backstreet Boys like smashed everybody and then like then you had NSYNC and then Britney and Christina and you know yeah. and it was like teen pop had this major resurgence in a way they hadn't had since the 80s really and MTV's audience got a little younger yeah. because of that teen pop resurgence you started to see this real tribalism in music because it didn't become it wasn't about just enjoying good music anymore. It became the type of music that you listen to defined you. So it was like, if you were one of those people that listened to like teen pop, then you're one of those like fake, you know, Valley girl type people. But if you listen to like Limp Biscuit, it's because you don't care about what people think. It's like the music became almost an identity yeah <clears throat> in a way that it never had before yeah there were like yeah there were looks that were associated with audiences of certain music or whatever like that but even with that they still branched beyond their preferred genre whereas with this it's like no you listen to this and nothing else and if you listen to anything outside of whatever this box is then you're fake and you're not really about it. You know, it became very, it was it became very tribal and territorial. And then it, that's where my relationship with music kind of shifted because I've never been that person. Mm-hmm. Anybody who listens to this knows I'm a major NSYNC fan. Also listen to Corn just as much. You know what I'm saying? 
And I also listen to shit, any rap music that you could like. I, I like good music. I don't define it by genres, but at that time I was the weirdo because it's like, the fuck? Why you listen to this when you say you listen to this? It's like, who are you? Because in that time we were very much about the labels. And that's where pop culture was. All the movies, like the top movies at that time were Fight Club, American Pie, The Matrix. So it was like violence or sexual assault. Yeah, which is, it's all steeped in violence. Yeah. It's all violence. Yeah, that's why I say like that area is like, it was the extreme area of American television. Not just American television, but just the country in general. Right. Um, And... I want to say Woodstock 99 outside of Fox's failed plastic surgery club, uh, beauty pageant called the Swan is the yeah. antithesis of these things. Yeah. Like but it's just the utmost awesome. peak of um, white fragility, both in aesthetic and in place in life and in, in self-awareness and identity. Mm. And in both cases, all of these things were allowed to exist. This was, I also, mean, but that was the nineties. This was also peak white male misogyny, right? This was the right. girl on wild era. This was the, this is, this was when porn was on TV. Yeah. Well, you can still get, uh, what was that? Spice? Yeah, and not even for that shit. You watch MTV too late and you're watching a Girls Gone Wild commercial. Like, you're seeing barely... I mean, pretty much, like, yeah. Honestly, no shade. Adult Swim, too, had those Girls Gone Wild commercials. They did. Like, every network had After Midnight had And then it's like, MTV was showing that show Undressed, which was the slightly softer core version of porn than what like HBO or Showtime was showing. I'm not no I'm not we're not doing that to undress because undress was so much more than just that right no it undress it, it was no, a show about young people engaging was. in sex not, and sexuality and it was smartly written it was no it, it was, was okay not show. smartly written no <laughs> but I they tried they know, and for what it was no it was a it was a very good show for what it I was. think you'd be BT uncut I was getting there <laughs> It was a very good show for what it was, right? Like, but that that still does speak to where we were as a culture at that time. Yeah, the nineties, the the early nineties, we're talking about sex and sexuality. The beginning of the nineties, we're talking about sex and sexuality because we were coming off the heels of responsible sex. Yeah, we were also coming off the heels of what was considered the quote-unquote end of the AIDS epidemic. Yeah. Um, so at that point, sex and sexuality, we were talking about in in more than an age-appropriate way, uh, more people were talking to their children about sex. Mm-hmm. Um, more condoms were available. Like, we were already thrusted with sex in our faces since the beginning. And once again, you get to that point where Everyone goes from whatever pro is to it being commodified and commercialized. Yeah, and, and that, and and then with that commodifying and commercializing, women became commodities. Yeah, in a different type of way. Again, it, again, yeah, again. And then because when you think about how I don't know if you remember, but I do the commercials for the pay per view for Woodstock '99. 
they were very heavily centered around the girls and bikinis and or naked women. Yeah. And it was like that was the selling point. But then even even if you go as far as like wrestling at that time. Yeah. Like the women in wrestling, yeah, they may have wrestled here and there, but they were very much like sex objects on the side of the ring. The announcers yeah. would, would like make these hypersexual comments about them. All I remember is like Jerry Lawler consistently talking about the puppies every mm-hmm. time a woman came out to be well, no. ringside. Ah, that was only, and she came out a lot, Stone Cold Steve Austin's girlfriend slash in real life wife. She had the puppy and they were large. I don't even remember her name. <laughs> I can't remember her name, but anytime she came out, she was the puppy. She was the main one, but he was She was the puppy. Here she comes with the puppy. That's going to kill me. What's her name? I don't remember her name at all. But it's, yes, they were huge. They were massive. But it's also like, it was, everything was so hypersexual at that time. With hypersexual and hyperaggressive that I don't see how no one understood. It was Deborah. Yes. I don't see how no one understood why the environment at Woodstock 99 was what it was. But well, let's, okay, so let's actually get into it. I was about to say, but let's get into it from the beginning. Because everybody has theories and not really talking. Um so the documentary, Woodstock 99, we're just gonna have a very general discussion about the, yeah. Kind of new no, findings, point which point. This really shit has been like analyzed to death at this point. It's every five years it it will happen. It pops when the fiftieth was the fiftieth last year? No, fiftieth. Twenty nineteen. They tried to do Woodstock fifty in twenty nineteen. It was twenty nineteen. because they couldn't get any county to give them the permits to put this on. Yeah, no, because no, because the they've already proven. but it's like so the person who put together Woodstock 99 and every other Woodstock for that matter is the same person who did World. no shut up it's uh there's a reason why I brought that up I know yeah but his name is Michael Lang um and um don't forget what's his name sure I was Charles or John I was getting to him but he was involved in 99 Michael Lang has is Michael Lang is a very important figure in the Woodstock lore because he's almost like Willy Wonka, right? So he was a kid, like he was in his 20s when he did Woodstock 69 and has done every Woodstock since then. But he was instrumental in creating the lore and the fantasy around Woodstock 69 with the documentary with the way he talked about it because he controlled yeah. it right yeah. so he was very and he really is like I, I heard on the podcast where I compared him to Willy Wonka but that very much is very fitting because he was like when you listen to him talk about Woodstock and what it was 
it's very much like Willy Wonka singing, come with me into a world of imagination. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But that factory was hella dangerous. And uh, yeah. At Woodstock 69, like there was almost a mass electrocution. <laughs> but nobody talks about that. No. Like, it's a kid got ran over by one of the trailers there and died. Nobody talks about that. I know like, nobody like, talks about like the ODs that happen. Right. Like, it's like now. you got the drug overdoses, you got the sexual assaults that happen. Nobody talks about any of that because he spin this narrative in a way that makes it like it was this magical utopia. Yeah. That's what has carried, and that's why he's been able to carry this into six or seven other festivals, which we can we will be remiss to if we didn't say, have never been profitable. No, and Not extremely dangerous. One Woodstock was profitable. <laughs> Every last one of them have been extremely dangerous, too. Extremely dangerous, and they've all lost a ton of money. Yeah. So he's literally... Do the lawsuits, as Trevor Scott. <laughs> I mean, 90... Actually, I, I, I looked into this. There was only one one lawsuit in Woodstock 99. That's the, the guy who died of hypothermia in the Metallica pit. I've, I don't know. I find that considering the fuck show that it was, I just I find that a little hard to believe. That is the only... That is they the may only have lawsuit. settled. That's the only lawsuit you can find. Okay. If others That's... may have been brought up and dismissed, you can't find them. That is the only lawsuit that I can find. But a lot of people, because as I was watching this documentary and listening to the podcast, and you know, they talked to a lot of people who went there. They don't necessarily look at it like a shit show. So I can completely understand why there wasn't more lawsuits. Um, Some do, a lot don't. Yeah, I, I can... We as a people have a tendency to um, attach emotions to uh, emotion. Um, I'm sorry, emotions to memories, right? Yeah. But what we also don't necessarily acknowledge is that over time, the memory wears. Yeah, I'm and like, what you really remember is we're talking you know, twenty years removed. But that's also, yeah. like I said, a. A lot of stuff, and that was a sticking point for me in the documentary too, because a lot of people were, they're like, "Oh yeah, one uh, the little ball dude. Yeah. Oh yeah, you know, I was out turning things over and starting fire. I mean, I'm, I'm we were just in the moment." But it, if, but then he also they talked to him in the podcast too, and he said he says that same thing there. He was like, "I don't understand how I was so easily influenced, but also." it was in the moment, right? Like, it's kind of like dismissive, like it wasn't a big thing. But then not long after that, he also says, but Woodstock 99 was overall a great time because it was a a sense of community and music and da, 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 da. And it's just like, what? Like, it's... Um, but this I is will say this, even some people in hell have a good time. You, yeah. And that's really what it, that's, I mean... There are people that came back from Fire Festival was like, you know what? I fucked a bunch of bitches. I didn't have a bad time. Yes, that is correct. But this is also why I said this documentary 
countered my memories of Woodstock 99. Mm-hmm. But it's, I had, I had to check myself and remember that the memories that I have of this festival were from a 15, 16 year old person who was envious right. that I wasn't there. Yeah. Not from a 30 plus person who was glad I didn't go. <laughs> <laughs> um, so speaking of being glad that you didn't go, uh, from the get go, the festival was a shit show. It really um, starting from the Thursday pre-show. Yeah. So it was, a, it was they say slated the show for quote unquote three days, but there was actually a fourth day. It was actually that a fourth day. That it was you just had like to a have a of emerging talent. And it was mostly for journalists, but you could buy a very, a, like a super special ticket if you wanted to get in, but most of it was just for like music journalists. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, all, all of the emerging talent we've never heard from again. That's never. <laughs> hilarious to note, knock on wood. Uh, but from like literally from the get go, first day, you have issues with porta potties backing up. You've yeah. got issues with water supply. You have issues with food supply. Um, it's hot as living fucking balls out. And also, so we have to also acknowledge. So, as somebody who goes to a lot of concerts, right? And I have since I was like 12, I've taken out the COVID years. Since I was 12 years old, I have done two to three concerts a year, every year. Mm -hmm. And I remember this period in the late 90s, early 2000s, where commercialism was like peak. And it was so expensive to get water. Yeah, it still is. It, it, it is, but it's in a different, it's like, it's expensive, but there was like, but there's free options. And I remember like, cause in 99, I went to the TRL tour. I am really dating myself, but <laughs> I, I did go to the TRL tour that was essentially a music festival. It was just one day. And I remember I went to a food truck of some sort. I think it was a taco truck. Or no, it wasn't. It was just some random food truck. It had like chicken fingers and some shit like that. Something that should cost no more than $5. And I remember for, it was like three chicken fingers and a handful of fries and a bottle of water was like $27. And that was like, but in like 99, that's insanity. Cause I was like six, 15, 16 years old. Like, and that was insane to me. And if you think about the crowd of Woodstock, they're like 19, 20, 21, like they're college kids. Mm-hmm. There's the, there's very, I'm not gonna say there was no free water options cause there were, but there were very few and they barely worked. That's, uh, yeah, that's, that's one of my things too, is like the free, you have people bathing in the free option. Exactly. So for me, they weren't available. You know what I, I mean? mean? And they had quote unquote showers, but you saw the showers. Like, 
there that were, wasn't a shower. The showers were, it's like, if we, let, let's just talk about the accommodations of this place, right? If you can so, even call it that. Woodstock 99 had 500,000 attendees. Yeah. They had a staff of 10,000 people. Which is foolish. Which is insanity. Because that's... Yeah. Like, if you do the math, I'm I'm kind of drunk, so my math might be weird, but it's like 5,000 attendees for every one worker. Or some wild shit like that. Like, it's... it's- it might be 50, 50,000. Uh, I'm kind of drunk, so excuse me if my math is off. It's some wild-ass number. It might be 50,000 attendees for every one worker. I don't know. My math is weird because I'm drunk. But it's... Yeah, no. Wait, no. It's it's 500. Okay. 500. Did I do that right? No, it couldn't be 500, I don't know. Maybe. Oh, wait, I, I forgot to add extra zero. It's 50. It's 50 people per staff member. It's That's an insane amount, right? That's, Shit, that's like, bordering what's on in the public school districts. I know more. <laughs> Your numbers don't sound right, though. Hold on. Oh, that is right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say five, and I was like, no, it's 50. I was like, so no math. 50 people per single employee now this includes the 10,000 people is everybody that worked any service job there that, yeah so that's security that's the food service that's the people the who stay changing the, the lighting well people who don't secure situations yeah it's it's literally it's everybody who was employed by the Woodstock Festival. So, because, you know, bands bring their own crews or whatever else, but there were 10,000 people employed, which when they, the, the day they started, the day before they started the festival, when the security team got there, they had a thousand security guards quit or get fired on Thursday. Well, let, okay, let's let's start with why and how these people were hired. Because this yeah. in and of itself was I was fucked I up was getting to that. I was getting there too because it's like because this all goes to the accommodations. So in New York, you have to be licensed to be a security guard. Like you have to go through a class and take a test and have a license. Have to be licensed, and in depending on where you're securing, you might have to be bonded, but. You definitely have to have a license. I I know that's not every state, but New York is a state that you have to have a license. Well, they were having a hard time hiring security guards because nobody wants to fucking do it, right? So they were putting them in these three-hour classes, but the last two of the three hours were just giving them the answers to the test. Yeah. If you all have ever had to take a tips or a safe serve yeah. or any alcohol related class. It's the exact same setup. Yeah, very much. So you have all these very young and very unqualified people providing security. Then you get there. Then they the security gets there Thursday night and they have they house the security in these barracks that don't have air conditioning. No. That don't have running water. 
and half of the like 500 of them were fired for were fired well they said it was like 300 that were fired for intimidating other guards either bullying them off of whatever spot they were or causing fights or whatever else right another 200 quit because of they was like we're not living in this shit or they didn't want to deal with whoever was fucking with them but then you had another 500 security guards fired for stealing and this is thursday wednesday wednesday because it was even before the pre-show so this is wednesday as they're like setting up so you already know the security guard barracks are unconditioned unair conditioned don't have water it's august in upstate new york and it's a hundred fucking degrees every day then you go with there was a hundred porta potties on this festival ground. I believe that's the number I read. It was a hundred porta potties for five hundred thousand people. Yeah, there was one shower area, which was really just a big ass tarp with another tarp in the middle separating the male and female side and wood pallets on the side to create some kind of wall yeah so that it would stand upright <laughs> this is really yeah this was there were the water lines were exposed yep and they ran to giant i mean really like above ground pools is really what these were that held water and these water lines ran to the shower as well as to these fountains that didn't really work well there was i think 60 fountains i think that's what i saw which doesn't make sense for five hundred thousand people not at all in the middle of june august it was August. Was that August? It was in August. It was August 21st through the 23rd. No, it was, I'm sorry, not June. We both were wrong. It's July. It was July 20th to the 20th to the 24th, I want to say. Was it? I thought it was August. Hold on. Let me, let me look. Hold on. Let me get the exact date so we can be correct. Yeah. July 22nd to the 25th. Okay. So it's at the end of July, early August. It's the hottest. It's, it's the hottest time the of the hottest year. Hottest time of the fucking year, like, and it was like sixty or seventy water fountains, and they weren't like. So it was ninety nine. So it was like those like pump water fountains that you had to like the step foot on ones the thing step on the pedal multiple times to get the water to come up. And so they clearly just didn't work well. No. Then they had a row of food trucks, and I believe it was like 15, but all the food trucks had standardized pricing. So everybody had to sell water for $4. Yep. And the water was the same price as the beer. Yeah. And now, I don't know about you, but I know me at 18, 19, 20 years old, 
in a place where no one's checking IDs. If I got $8 and it's like- I'm buying two beers. Buy Buck two food. beers or buy two waters. Bitch, I'm buying two beers. I'm going to get drunk. Like, yeah. it's, that's just what's going to happen. And that's what happens a lot. Like, Yeah. The thing about this festival, which lets me know they knew exactly what they were dealing with and just chose not to prepare for it. They had a full portable hospital set up. Yeah. You they, know what? Okay. So I what I think they was, I don't think they necessarily, I think they remained willfully ignorant of what was going to happen and still yeah. how it went down. But it's like not that ignorant because of, because they they set up a full portable hospital. So y'all yeah. knew people were going to be there doing drugs. Y'all knew people were going to be dehydrated. Like y'all y'all were prepared. Yeah. Because yeah. like they talked to one of the EMTs that was there in this documentary as well as in the podcast. And he said that's the most extensive medical setup he's ever seen at a music festival oh i wouldn't doubt that at all So it's not that y'all didn't understand what the environment could potentially bring y'all chose to ignore it we also i want to say how much of that is like was that their decision and how much of that was the decision made based on like well in order for you to receive this permit you have have the thing about with sock 99 so Woodstock 99 almost didn't happen because the county, which I cannot remember the name of the county that Rome is in, but the county wouldn't give them a lot of the permits because they said they were woefully inadequate in their planning. They had to pay a million and a half dollars just to even have the fucking festival. Yeah. So... But I think that this portable, this portable hospital setup was in response to the ODs that happened in 69, 79, 89, 94. You know what I'm saying? Like they know mm-hmm. people are gonna be here and gonna be doing drugs. They have to have a way to pump these people's stomachs. You're not doing that in like the traditional medical tent where all they have is like gauze and tongue depressors. Okay, fair. So it's like there there was a level of knowledge and understanding as to what could potentially happen for not only Michael Lang, but also John Scherer, who was the promoter and the people who, and the person who booked a lot of the talent to now act as if they were ignorant as to why this shit went the way it did. Okay. Okay, I can I can understand that. Um I it's shut up. It's interesting <laughs> because in the in the documentary they talk about like uh they refer to old white men essentially as being like these old relics who hold on to power and idealism and nostalgia. Um and this felt like a festival put on by to be perfectly honest all white men all white men in their 40s um it wasn't planned appropriately it was ill-prepared uh they picked a bunch of hot names at the time but the lineup didn't make sense 
and accessibility to the most basic of facilities like a toilet water yeah um but of course we have a, a, a an extremely extensive large hospital tent you know mm -hmm. just in case um yeah it sounds like that plan of <laughs> it sounds like that plan of music festival because that's what it was yep <laughs> this is why we let mom do all the point yeah. um but they had very limited access to, like I said, basic facilities, toilets, um, clean running water to bathe and drink. And even when you got, like, if you were a woman and you received um, access to a shower or you snuck in real quick, it was still a chance to, like, am I going to get stared at, leered at, or sexually assaulted? Potentially sexually assaulted because... It was said that the sh a lot of rapes happened in those showers. Yeah, I wouldn't doubt it. Me either. Um, and in combination with this, that that uh, was a military army base. It was an air force base. Air force. Mm -hmm. That air force base in Rome was all. It's all I'm, asphalt. Just it's all like road. It's all, it's all there's a couple of patches of grass, but it is like you got to think about it. Like just picture it, right? I've been watching the Golden this Girl. Italy, nineteen twelve. <laughs> a young orphan girl approaches Rome, not Italy, New York. She's carrying a salami and a will to grow and live. <laughs> I've been watching Golden Girls too. Right, but if you think about it, right, it's. You're on an Air Force base. It's a hundred to a hundred and ten degrees outside. So the ground is scorching hot. Like yeah. burn your fucking foot skin off hot. There's five hundred thousand other fuckers around you. So you're hot just because of proximity. You're jumping or whatever you're doing in response to the music that's playing. You're dehydrated because if you're anything like me in college, you really thought $40 was gonna get you through a fucking weekend. So you might drink a bottle or two of water a day. <laughs> so you're fucking dehydrated. You might be high, possibly drunk. Probably. Right, possibly drunk. And it's still 110 degrees outside. Yeah. And like, you just paid $150 to do this. Right. Like your you your body's like damn near like you're spent Friday night. Yeah. Because it was yeah. still 80 degrees at night. Yeah. <laughs> like it, you're not your and body's you're sleep deprived because you know they didn't the go to sleep. Day. And the whole was, thing. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. No, go ahead. Uh, the whole thing was by far the most inadequately, well, I can't say that because Fire Festival took that cake. She wins. Fire Festival <laughs> did not happen. I, I have had this conversation, I don't know how many times. <laughs> Y'all gotta stop saying this shit happened. It never fucking happened. That was a hot... No, this is the thing. <laughs> yeah, it was shut up. <laughs> shut up. People showed up, it happened. 
and it might have turned into a hostage, hostage a festival. Hostage. But that first day that they landed for the first few minutes, that was a festival. If no music played, a festival never happened. That was a hostage situation. Well, you know what? This documentary taught me that no matter what, uh, no matter how mad white men get at a situation, there's always trash cans for them to overturn and create a drum circle. And eventually a car to get to flip. Uh, right. Well, <laughs> so they, there were a couple other, so they talked about some of the acts that helped to kind of like incite the rage and the energy in the documentary, um, which is interesting because we were having this conversation um, talking about Travis Scott and Astro World versus somebody like a Tiana Taylor who has his more ebbs and flows and her shit to bring you up and bring you down. We get to the point where the documentary is contradicting my memories. This is where okay. we start to get to it. Because, you know, there was Friday night. Friday night was, there was a, an anger in the air, but for the most part, it was pretty chill, right? Yeah. So we get to Saturday. And the offspring was the first person, the first band. Wait, no, Friday had DMX in corn. Yeah, but it, so it was it, starting to get hype. No, offspring was, was on Friday. The anger was buzzing. No, offspring was Saturday because they were before Limbiscuit. No, um, offspring was Friday. Well, okay. So, yeah, because okay. they were with. Oh, Friday. I don't remember the lineup. Insane Clown Posse. Because Insane Clown Posse, they didn't talk about them at all. And they were definitely like... They did talk about it in the documentary. Too. But it's because they played on Friday. So Friday, the offspring is when they acknowledged that the girls that were crowd surfing were getting groped. And they're like, y'all got to chill out. Like, yeah. y'all got to stop doing that shit, right? But then there was a story that was told that like, Oof, it like really shook me to my core. One of the attendees of, of one of the female attendees, she now runs she now runs an organization to stop sexual assault at festivals and you know stuff like that. But she was talking about because she put out a just like a feeler, like if you were sexually assaulted at Woodstock 99, call this number. And she talked about how one woman told her a story, told her her story. And she talked about how she was in the, like in the crowd, you know, just kind of, and she was trying to walk through to get back mm -hmm. to her friend. And she said 15 guys surrounded her and they all started like groping and pulling at her. And somebody's yelling, rip her apart. And I'm just like, oh, oof. Yeah. That. Uh, yeah. Once again. But Rosie reason... Perez came out on stage on Friday. And this crowd of overwhelmingly white men is shouting at her, show us your tits. And that's, that's one of the big things that was um, constantly playing in my mind throughout, like even as a small kid, mm -hmm. um, this definitely wasn't like, okay, so that this wasn't a show for, this wasn't a show for one, non-white people and two, yeah. non-white women. Like right. this, was, this was a show specifically geared for 
white men and this white was just a show that was specifically geared for angry white men like they threw so that okay on that friday you got the most black people right and then you got g love and special sauce which i just call the white roots right yeah and then you got jamiroquai which is pretty much <laughs> i also forgot <laughs> i forgot that this festival kicked off with james brown yeah, that's where I was going. I completely. That's exactly where I was going. That, like, that made no fucking sense. <laughs> they put, like, it was, it was like, it was designed to, it was designed to make white men rebel. Because you put it was your, um, it was designed to force nostalgia on people who didn't want it. Not with this lineup. Because, well, it was because it was to an extent because it's like you had, it was like James Brown and then like Elvis Costello was on this lineup and Willie Nelson. And then you had Creed bring out the guitar player from the doors and Wyclef did that terrible rendition of Jimi Hendrix playing the Star Spangled Banner. And it was like all these references to the original Woodstock. These kids had no idea what we were talking about. But you're also doing, trying to force this on a generation of people who wanted nothing less than to be like their parents. So I think I can understand that. But if this was about inspiring some level of nostalgia, you would not have insane clown posse. And oh, corn no, and no, George no. Clinton it, on the same day, let alone the same stage. It wasn't not holy, but you could very much feel oh, the Chemical Brothers, duh. Yeah, but it wasn't. It wasn't like nostalgia wasn't the main goal, but it you could feel the force nostalgia there. It was the same thing as having these like all these girls dress as like faux hippies where they're like topless with like peace sign or flower pasties dressed like they're from the 60s and 70s but they're handing out flyers for whatever corporate sponsor they work for just like it's like you had like the funniest one to me was the Kellogg's girls so it was a group of five girls and they're all dressed in like what's considered hippie attire, but they're topless with pasties on. But they have like, you know, super straight hair, the rose colored glasses with the little like string headband tie. Like they look just like, like straight out of central casting for a 60s movie. And they're okay. handing these kids those like individual boxes you know like the kind they gave you in school of different Kellogg cereal it's like this is the weirdest like suppose like this is it makes sense corporate marketing I've ever seen and it's it makes sense because remember the Pepsi girls and they were right before yeah. that yeah but it's like it's like yeah, they were icons <laughs> we've been sleeping on them Pepsi girls they need to bring them bitches back but it's like y'all trying to force nostalgia to cover up the commer the capitalism that this really is that's it's mm, let's see 
I would say if we're going to go with the, like, this was designed about nostalgia, it, it's designed around nostalgia because of, it's a, it's a festival being put on by 60-year-old men. Yeah. Who but it's like- are also older and also have made a chunk of but they're using nostalgia to hide as a like a mask for the capitalism. See, I wouldn't say it was used as a mask for that just because of six-year-old men, and that's it, that's gonna go hand in hand. Okay. It's a part of it. It's it's it was a part of it was a part of the festival because it was designed by these people. You know what I mean? Um I could get with that. Okay, I, I'm with you. So you not only had the hot tarmac, but like I said, documentary didn't talk about anything insane clown posse at all. I'll throw hundred dollar bills off the stage, which immediately and then is just a and then, yeah, bad idea. Like they had, they first threw out beach balls with hundred dollar bills taped to it, and then yeah. out the beach balls with five hundred dollars taped to it. That it just—it's such a horrible idea. It's too many people, and to think that people are going to. I don't know, respect boundaries. Like, it's a fun idea. Don't get me wrong. It's a fun idea. But people don't understand how to respectfully have fun. Right. People understand, oh, there's $500 taped to this beach ball. I'm going to get it. Mm-hmm. That is it. Not, oh, she got it. We got to leave her alone. They're all, like, hitting the beach ball, which is making it go up in the air, which is just further aggravating people, right? It's... The whole idea was just, but nonetheless, you have inadequate facilities and now you have this. Uh, we move to, that was day Friday. And Friday, I mean, it should have been okay because for fuck's sake, she got James Brown and Jamiroquai. That's the problem. They put all the peaceful people first and last. It's like Friday, not really, because we get to the end, she gets wild. But Friday, it's like you get, it's like the anger was buzzing. Yeah. But for the most part, the day was as to be expected. But you definitely felt the temperature of the crowd rising. Yeah. Um, and it definitely started to boil over on Saturday. Saturday's lineup. Saturday. And Saturday is where my memory starts to get it's like my memory and the documentary gets contradicted but I also realized that some of my memory is shaped by wanting to be there others by the news reports I saw because as mm-hmm. I went back and started looking at news clips from the time I realized why I remember it the way I remember it but okay. it's like you get to Saturday now you have a crowd of 500,000 people that have been up all night Yes, because they also had a 24-hour rave running. They had a 24-hour rave going, but also they were sleeping in tents and not like the ones that brought tents were sleeping in tents. That's the two. If you didn't... Because you couldn't get a room anywhere in Rome. Like you just, everybody's kind of slept where they were and it's just, so you're not sleeping well. By this time, the all the bathrooms are backed up and overflowing so it's like muddy and this mud is like half shit and it's so you're on the ground in this like mud sewage mixture everything has been pissed on at this point because yeah like you know so it's already getting kind of like third world and gross like post-apocalyptic already so you get into Saturday 
and it's super hot again and they're super dehydrated so we get to Limp Biscuit, and this is where my memory starts to fail me because from memory I remember Limp Biscuit doing their set like they started with Faith which I love that cover of Faith but whatever we're not talking about that no I do too I love that cover but they go and they get to break stuff right now in my memory when they were singing break stuff this is when the writing started in reality because if you look at news clips from that time and i want anybody listening to this to go back and google news clips from that time the way the news clips were clipped together it looked like the rioting happened as they were performing break stuff. So it was like, what the fuck would they do that? That's so irresponsible if you saw the crowd was getting it. But that's not what happened. Yeah. Now, you did see people starting to pull apart different structures or whatever. Like, but it was just like a couple of two by fours, whatever. Like, but you also see Fred Durst trying to get them to chill out because he's like okay all that energy's out let's just relax and then they end the set on their more mellow songs and you see him he he tries at least three times to kind of get the crowd to kind of bring the energy down so I do think it's a little unfair that the narrative has been spun that Fred Durst was the cause of what happened at Woodstock 99. I think it's unfair that he gets labeled as being the only cause. However, I do believe that in the same way, um, uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers got brought up and Insane Clown Posse, and once again, even having Megadeth, Godsmack, um like all these real angry angsty white boy bands there's definitely and and inadequate facilities and not requiring people be of a certain fucking age um there's definitely multiple causes it's like it's it's, he's not the only cause you know he was just the soundtrack to the moment but the problem is that the soundtrack did help to hype the situation but it's like when you're pretending to sell dope in your head on the way to work yeah but I also even think that is I even I even put less of it on him I would put more on Anthony Kiedis um no I I equally say both of them because in because in the documentary um I can't remember which gentleman it was but it was he stated that he went out to talk to Fred Durst and said we need to break this down and Fred Durst did say fuck it and those were his words. Oh, very much. He's like, fuck oh, it. Fred Durst is not innocent. I look at this the same way I look at Astroworld. Are there There's enough blame to go around. Are the performers in either situation innocent? No. No. Not at all. But the majority of the blame in this situation, as with Astroworld, lies on the organizers, the promoters, the people who put this together. Yeah. That's where the lion's share of the blame for this lies. I will say this, though. If you are a performer and 
if you are a performer and we're doing large, large scale shit like this, there is a responsibility and knowledge that you have to have about right. controlling and navigating the crowd and being conscious of like, no, all right, let's again, this is, but that's why I say they, do the performers have a level of culpability? Very much so. Yeah. Because you can't have one or two trying to bring it down. Why? Like you get Cheryl Crow up there singing Soak Up the Sun and they're like booing and throwing shit at Cheryl Crow, which is so weird that she was there. But That's why it doesn't make sense. Why that makes None no of this makes sense. sense. And, and they literally just picked who they thought was hot at the time. And majority of them are like literally majority of them are white males. White males. Who sing either angsty or angry shit. Mm-hmm. But then it's the three female acts at Woodstock 99. The three were Cheryl Crow, Alanis Morissette, and Jewel. Yeah. Of those three, Alanis Morissette is the only one that halfway makes sense. <laughs> No, Jewel makes sense really and in that kind of nostalgia way that you were talking about. Jewel yodels. She don't make sense. Jewel makes sense. and she if had, she... Jewel, Jewel makes as much sense as James Brown or Willie Nelson or, or Elvis Costello. It's like they're literally there to inject nostalgia into this not nostalgic event. I can see... I can see why Jewel would be included in this because it's like, well, we need another woman who's a woman that's hot right now. I was say, but it was and also Jewel was hot, and she was huge. Like everybody was listening to fucking Jewel. Everybody yeah. was crying was, about this little white girl who was sleeping in the back of her car. I used to listen to Jewel. I like. Jewel. I know. I I did too, and I, I had to stop because every time I listen to it, it's like, why am I so sad? I can't I do still, this. Anymore. I don't listen to Jewel a lot anymore, but I used to listen to Jewel. But I also like Cheryl Crow and Alaska Morissette. So here we are. I'm good on Cheryl, but we're good with Atlantis. I like I like some Cheryl Crow. Most Cheryl Crow, I can't get into. There's a couple of songs that I really like, though. Also, Kid Rock performed at this. And so Kid Rock was before them, and he was he was as, as he was just as bad as everybody else. He has yes. a level of responsibility. Now, on it. I also <laughs> don't judge me, right? So at the time, at the time, I have to say this, at 19, in 1999, when I yeah, was- Yeah, we were all into Kid Rock. I was, that was before uh, we I was very speak. into Kid Rock before I realized that he was a raving racist. Yeah. Well, was, that's when, you know, what was it, what they call it? Rap rock or new metal? rap rock then. Now it's called new metal, but it was, at that time, it was called rap rock. Yeah. Like, I think everybody who's Black had at least one- like rap rock new metal song that they liked you know i have it's funny because the first time i watched this i was cleaning up my house and i found a bag of cds and in this bag there was a limp biscuit cd a kid rock cd and a stain cd yeah that's a surprise (laughs) that's a surprise like every once in a while i'll be in that mood and i'm like i just want to listen to limp biscuit I still, don't know why. I was actually listening to break stuff today. I still listen to Limp Bizkit because you know sometimes 
you know, it's just one of those days when you don't want to wake up. I mean, yeah, but that's Look, the thing, though. Like, that's why I keep talking about, like, artists that you have to be able to curate the mood in your audience. You have to be able to, like, navigate them and what the fuck is going on. But also, if you think about like, it, that song was perfectly fitting for the environment. No, it was. Although but you can't do that stuff place. and not expect people to break it's like not You the gotta calm them down after that. For that environment, but it perfectly described that environment. <laughs> like you needed to like after that song, you needed to take a five minute prayer and then do another song. Like <laughs> you let niggas rest. Vincent to show up. <laughs> yeah, and, and actually bring her all, ass out for a little. And bit. have y'all all put y'all forehead to the earth like it's <laughs> shit. Like you gotta have your ebbs and flows. You yeah. can't just be hyped all the time. It's like you get that you get through. Shit, you had K Rock out there screaming about screaming to people to throw plastic bottles at the fucking stage. Yeah, and that commenced okay. for the rest of the festival. He also walked out in a fur coat in exactly. a ten degree weather. K Rock That's... makes terrible decisions, but Marcus from fucking Romeo. Of course he does. Yeah. So no shade to anybody from Romeo, but y'all know what uh, I mean. But <laughs> it this is all shade to Kid Rock and not to the city of Romeo. No, a little bit of shade to the city of Romeo. I mean, you know, most more of, than a little bit actually. Most of this shade is directed at Kid Rock, though. Like like sixty forty, I'll give you that. <laughs> I was gonna say seventy thirty, but <laughs> but it's like so you get through that. And then you go from break stuff into right into Metallica. And this is where the most notable tragedy of the well, hold on too, because after Limp Biscuit, I think it was actually Raging Against Machines, and they got they only got a blip in this. Yeah, it was Raging. But if I remember correctly, yeah. they were they were like burning flags, if I remember correctly. I think so. So you have Limp Bizkit, Rage Against the Machine, burning flags on fucking stage. And yeah, but they did that all the time, yeah. That was like part of their act. Yeah, no, I, I very distinctly remember that era, but it just, yeah. just leading into the energy over what was happening. Yeah. Then you get to Metallica and one of the, and the first notable tragedy of Woodstock 99. And this kid, David, his last name is escaping me, but his is this the hypothermia man. Yes. Okay. His journals are the ones that are read throughout the documentary. Um, and he he ascended. Well, all right. He ascended. <laughs> Where are you going with this bitch? If you come out with a grand rising, I'm taking my pocketbook and I'm leaving. No, bitch. Shut up. <laughs> So he went, his whole goal was to get onto the Woodstock video by getting in the pit for Metallica. So he was there with his friends. His friend was like, yeah, I don't feel right. I'm gonna go lay down. I don't, you know. He goes into the pit. While in the pit, this speaks to the inadequacy of what was, of what was happening at Woodstock. While in the pit, he starts to have seizures. Eventually, EMTs come in to take him out. But 
from the his best friend's account, which is like third hand because he wasn't there. But from his best friend's account, there were two of the Peace Patrol, which is what they call the security, standing yeah. there, and they didn't know what to do when this kid started having seizures. Well, that's because they had all the peace in the world because they were a part of the show. Yeah. They were part of the audience. They were part of the audience. And even in the documentary, you see one of the Peace Patrol saying that he used his badge to get To pussy. get pussy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Did you get some pussy? I was like, oh, this is so like, it was gross. the way you said it. it. So gross the way he said it. Like, there was no, like, sexiness into it at all. You know what I mean? Mm-mm. Like, I just don't feel like you should say pussy if it's not aggressive or sexy. Yeah, it was, it was just gross. It was very, like, predator the way he said it. Yeah. So the kid, so he starts to have seizures. Um, They take him over to the medical tent. And he gets to the medical tent. They apparently attempt to take his temperature orally. He's hallucinating, so he's aggressive and, like, not letting this happen because he's thinking some other shit's going on because, again, hallucinating. So they just don't take his temperature because they didn't have any other thermometer other than the oral one, so they just don't take his temperature. Um, an hour or so later they airlift him to Syracuse hospital. It is five to six hours between his first seizure and when someone took his temperature. By the time his temperature was taken, he was at 107 degrees and his organs had already started to fail. So they tried to give him fluids and stuff to kind of regulate the temperature but his liver had failed. So the fluids were literally just going into his body and just expanding his body. Yeah, just nesting. Yeah, so he ended up dying of hypothermia. His family is the one that did sue the festival and they they settled for an undisclosed amount. But it's like, that speaks to the inadequacy of the training of... And then also, I mean, part of it is of the time because it's 1999. It's not like there were like, it's not like nobody had cell phones. You know what I'm saying? Like there were pay phones on the grounds. There was a bulletin board where you put notes up to find- If you were looking for somebody. Like, so it was like, there was, and also, I mean, you can talk about if we, if, this wouldn't happen in this same way now because everybody has a cell phone. So yeah. it's like perpetual fear of embarrassment that does then create an, a, a level of best behavior because it's like somebody's always watching and always recording. It doesn't happen. It's like, yes, you still catch people slipping, but overarchingly, because even the guy who talked about participating in the foolishness, he said, like, during the podcast, he said when they started looting the band tees and the Woodstock tees and that stuff, he said he was about to go get stuff, and then he saw a news camera and was like, nah, fuck this shit. So there is still that perpetual, I don't want to be associated with these acts. Yeah. 
that because it wasn't it wasn't everybody out of the five hundred thousand. No, but no, it, it was, was enough like, agony amongst the five hundred thousand yeah. that a small, a smaller subset of people decided that they were going to riot against. And there was a lot of subsets. Like it was that could be a whole nother episode just talking about. Like, because there was, like, people talked about, like, the mud people who would intimidate anybody that came to the water fountains. They would, like, harass and intimidate anybody that came up by the water fountains. And then they were, like, there was a lot of little subsets. Yeah. There was no structure put in place. Not at all. There was no structure put in place. Combat this type of anger and angst that's growing. Yeah. so then you got Metallica. There were no rules put in place. You put oh. rules in place from the get-go and you have people guiding along saying, yep. no, you're not going to do that. And if there's a fucking problem, I'll bash your goddamn face in. Mm-hmm. Niggas tend to fall in line. There yeah. was none of that. And you let a bunch of 22-year-olds who, granted, like have, haven't eaten, been on drugs, have drank probably little to no water, has, have drank probably a fuck ton of alcohol. Mm-hmm. You let them, you let the kids have run of the camp. Yeah. And the counselors are there egging their asses on. Yeah. Because you get to... So, like, now Metallica is going and playing, and now there's, like, the the anger and tension is, like, palpable at this point. Yeah. Like, it's on you. You feel it. It's there. This is, you know, they're starting to tear shit up but in the midst of all this there's a ton of rapes and sexual assaults happening Mm -hmm. and that was all weekend all weekend because there was a story of a girl in a tent passed out and 20 dudes just took turns on her yeah there was you know a story of a girl who said a guy like yanked her into a tent and raped her while his friends like cheered him on and yeah there was like there was one girl who said she was raped in the middle of the pit i mean granted there was some consensual public fucking happening all around the festival but it it was a lot of so you got this there's like all this anger and violence just building and building and building it was a cess- it was a cesspool for nothing more than white masculinity. It yeah. really was. It was and a place it, where white men got to rape and got to pillage and that, had their favorite acts play music to it. Got to do what they always do with a soundtrack. Yeah. So yeah. then it's a Sunday, and by this point, everybody's like starving and they're exhausted and they're thirsty and they're broke and they're hot and they're angry. And this is the point when the anger turns on to the festival. This so now you got they're breaking the water lines, they're flipping over the food trucks and like stealing the food trucks. There was there was a story about how they were like raiding one of the refrigerated trucks, and then it was like everybody gotta get out before it explodes and the truck explodes. And then they there was a car that was there, like one of those like weird promotional cars that they put in like the mall and shit. Mm-hmm. They like flipped it over like fuck it flip that car and they like flipped that one over and then there was another car who that belonged to one of the food proprietors they flipped that shit over and it just kind of got it just kind of devolved into 
for lack of a better term, Lord of the Flies. Like, that's literally what happened. That's exactly how, like, everyone in the the, vid- the footage from what was being shot at Woodstock 99, uh, that's exactly how people refer to it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting, too, because even before we get up to that point of the final night, um, you were talking about detention being palpable. Like shit was shit was beyond brewing because if I remember correctly, there was a producer from MTV News that they showed. Yes, and she's talking about how MTV got pushed out of home base, um, how everyone feels it is unsafe, this is not being done correctly, and she laid into John Sher or Charles Sher, whatever the fuck his name is. But it was John Sher. But this is also after because MTV was that whole weekend. MTV was like the corporate enemy. Because, you know, MTV, they they made the shift to supporting all music and not just kind of focusing on the counterculture as they had before. Yeah. So it's like, this was the play. And they looked at it as like, you know, like we're the melting pot. You know, you can see NSYNC and Limp Biscuit in the same place. Like this is, that's what they thought they were doing. But this goes back to music becoming tribal. So they were the outliers to these people. It's like, you bitches don't understand us. Carson Daly, poor Carson Daly. Fuck Carson Daly. Um, Dave with the curly hair who won, okay. who wants to be a VJ was there. You got Dave Holmes and they're throwing these like Kellogg cereal boxes at him. He talked about yeah. one like hit him in the head. Like square, like the corner caught him dead in the middle of his forehead. Yeah. Then you got, but he also said this was one weekend he was glad. Oh my God, Ananda Lewis too. She wasn't there. She No, she was there. She was on the ground. Was she? Ananda was there. I if my memory serves me correctly. I didn't remember Ananda being there. I remember Carson, Dave, um, Kurt Loder. I remember them being there. I don't remember Ananda being there. Because was remember, Ananda, there was only two women. Because remember, this was happening at the same time as the MTV Beach House. So they couldn't send everybody there. I remember that? Ananda still being at the Beach House. No, I'm pretty sure she was there. I it mean, was her and um, the woman, the white woman who was fucking gorgeous and hella smart and did not one. take any shit. The one that Ben Affleck sexually assaulted? No, what? Uh, there was an MTV VJ, Heather somebody or other. I can't remember her last name, but Ben Affleck sexually assaulted her on MTV. Well, goddamn. Okay. grabbed her titty on the show. I mean, I'm not surprised at all. At all. (laughs) But, you know... Jennifer Garner was the problem. Serena, Serena Outschel. That's that wasn't no. She yeah, I, was she there? She was there too. Yep, she had. This was during the time and age when they showed that picture. When they show her, I was like, I remember that fucking haircut. Yeah, she was talking about. I think his name was Kurt Loder. Kurt she Loder. had that short, like platinum, almost silvery thing. blonde pixie cut, and just so, looked like everything. Kurt and was Loder. so smart. I always I wanted. Like my dream job was to be a music journalist. So I adored 
Kurt Loader and Serena Outro. Like I adored them because they did what I wanted to do. And it was like, they're the serious spots. Like I was the only kid that would wait for the MTV news things to pop up. No, I loved it. I loved it. Like I, cause that's what I wanted to do, but it, you know, whatever. <laughs> so, but like, I say Carson Daly because Carson Daly really did get the worst of this. Because in 99, Carson Daly was MTV. He was also corny as fuck, too, though. I mean, it no, is, it, but he was the face of MTV. He hosted Total Request Live, all the major MTV things. He was there. And they're throwing bottles of piss at him. And they're throwing, like, he got it the worst. But it's because he represented MTV to these people. Yeah. But Dave Holmes talked about how the first day they got there and they were going from tent to tent. Like, hey, is MTV you want to talk? And these kids like, get the fuck away from me. Like, it's... Like, they weren't... They were not fucking with MTV. Um... And it's John funny too. Cher, John Sher literally blamed the whole. He blamed festival. all of this on. He blamed it on Fred Durst. If they weren't there, he said Fred Durst caused it. He said Fred Durst was the reason that what happened happened, but Kurt Loiter exploited it. That yeah, which, that's how he phrased it. Did okay, did MTV take a moment that was happening and fucking exploit the fuck out of it? Yes, they did because they almost had 24-hour coverage there. Right. No shit. Like, however, if you wouldn't have given out. them the ammunition, these bitches would not have been able to because they didn't. And there shouldn't this is a place where like people's safety is a fucking concern. Right. And you continue like they, the festival. Like MTV made up the story. They no. reported the story. They just reported the story every 15 fucking minutes. Like, it, that's it, it. it. They didn't make it up, though. They're literally telling you what happened. It's just every time that little MTV news thing would pop up, they will be talking about it. See, stories like this um, make me further believe that there needs to be federal guidelines and specific spaces crafted for outdoor music festivals like this to do their best to try and secure like public safety not in somebody's yeah. field not on a fucking airbase it needs to have a federal guideline and if a state or city wants to do it that's not really after this it, it kind of is though kind of because think about if you think about the festivals that kind of grew out of this namely coachella right because Coachella really is the baby of Woodstock. Not so much anymore. Yeah. But in the beginning, it very much was. Coachella happens in the exact same spot every year. Coachella is, like, this spot is wholly designed for this festival. The infrastructure has been designed for this festival. This space is allotted for this festival. Like, Bonnaroo, same thing. Like, and the ones that tour like a Rolling Loud or it's treated more like a concert than a festival. So, yes. A um, little bit of a difference. Um, only one fifth of the people that went to Woodstock went to Coachella that same year. Oh, yeah. But what I'm saying is, is there needs to be 
it needs to be federally mandated that these are the facilities that need to be put in place. There needs to be a complete branch of government because there's been too many of these accidents and they're not going to, and we're still living in the day and age of COVID and these things are still happening. Like at some point, federal government has to intervene and set standards. But you that, know, mean, but that, that mean, these private entities have to live up to. But that, like, yeah, they have the infrastructure now, but it needs to be federally monitored. But that would mean that our the federal government would then have to put rules, regulations, and limitations on corporations, and in a very capitalistic society, that's never going to happen. That is yes and no, kind of true. Um, not it has to be something i think now it's something that could it has to uh, be really be changing talking talked about right because we're still living just a few weeks after astro world and that's still fresh for people's i mind. was gonna say like now it's different because yeah we're living in a world where the information isn't as closely controlled as it used to be mm-hmm because anybody can post a cell phone video. Like a lot of what we know about what happened at Astro World didn't come from news reports. It came from random cell phones. It came from Twitter. That was there and from Twitter. It came from fucking Twitter. Instagram. And like you you see what I'm saying? Like it's so because there's and this this goes for a lot of things, because the gatekeepers have been removed, we're more likely to get that those type of regulations to be put in place those type of like mandates and stuff but at that time no fucking way at the very least it needs to be something that is done on a state-by-state basis along the same lines as like amusement parks but this is why they bring in this is why the health department has to go that's what they claim they're doing by sending the health department in you know, whatever other department that has to give you permits, they claim this is the point of doing this, but it's like, if I can just pay a fine and keep doing what the fuck I'm doing, what are y'all really doing? That's the problem. That's why I was saying it, it has to be federal. It has to be federal. Yeah, because it just, if it was federal mandates, what's that 99 never would have happened? Um, No. First and foremost, they wouldn't have been allowed to have 500,000 people. Not at all. And a staff of 10,000. Not at all. Secondly, they would, they would have forced them to have at least bare minimum 1,000, hopefully. I would say bare minimum federal government, 500 porta potties. Yeah. Shooting for 1,000, which is still low. Mm-hmm. But bare minimum 500. But I um, even look at like a festival like Afropunk. Yeah. I don't think they ever have enough porta potties there. No, they don't. But they I'm going to tell you this, though. Niggas don't act up like this. And it's not a multi-day festival. Well, it is a multi-day festival, but you're not living there. You're not living there, no. It has a very clear start and end date. Yeah, Um, there's a separation from leaving the festival and and like going off and doing other things. They have more than enough. It was a 24-hour experience. They have more than enough security water stations, food options. They damn sure got security, bitch, don't they? Yeah, oof. The security is there and present. Yes. Like they have all of that, but I de- I've never thought they had enough water and hand washing. I mean, um, bathroom and hand washing stations. I've always thought they severely lacked there. But this is also, it's 
this festival, it's not only spread out, but it's separated by fences. Yeah. So only so many people are going to go, are only going to be able to go into any given area. Anyway. And don't they stop you too? If, if it yeah. starts to get too packed? Yeah, they control the crowd. They control the crowd. Because, but that's also the point of having the fences. Because it's like, even if they didn't, only so many people can get into any given area. Yeah. I mean, okay. So I'm thinking about this from like a very basic hospitality standpoint, right? Mm-hmm. It's when, when we talk about curating a guest experience, like, yes, the guest is number one, but you also have to remember too, at the end of the day, they are a guest. You yep. know what I mean by that? Yep. And in order to do that, sometimes you have to establish boundaries of which you will and which you won't do mm-hmm. there were no boundaries established afropunk is a very different experience it like is. there are boundaries very clearly established and if you want to get down they will get your ass out but it's like i mean but again but also that- there's still that separation too like i said it's not a 24-hour experience you're not living on the campgrounds you know but then if you want to go to and then like when you look at festivals like Coachella or like a Bonnaroo and kind of what they've evolved to. Yeah. Th- these don't devolve into foolishness in the same way because they have become festivals for the 1%. Mm-hmm. So only so many people can afford to go here anyway. Yeah. And I, I still go back to it. You got to look at the set list. Because I'm thinking about something like Electric Forest happens here every year. Yeah. And it's not, it's damn sure not 500,000 people. No. But it's a fu- It's a couple of thousand people. And it's a good time. And it, it's fun. Um, I'm not going to say nothing happens because obviously you put that many people together. Unfortunately, something's yeah, going to happen. Yeah, shit's going to happen. But for the most part, things are kept, it's a freedom, but they're kept under control. Mm-hmm. Um, this was just woefully and ignorantly planned from the set list on. It was. This was, like, de- this was designed this to was be a white designed. man's break room. Every, every part of this was designed to end the way it did. Yeah. And so as you go through Sunday and it's like, you know, they're, the crowd's anger really does turn on the festival itself. Yeah. So then these, because they're tearing shit up and they're flipping shit over. And that's what's happening all through the day. And then you get to the Red Hot Chili Peppers. And the first fire happens. And when they set the the small stage on fire. Mm-hmm. It was the East stage, I think. Yeah. The it same was right stage that James there. Brown was on. Yeah. And Don Shearer comes out and he's like, that's not planned. Y'all got to move, whatever, whatever. <laughs> that's not planned. That's what he said. That's literally what he said. That's not, that's not a part that's of the point. Sound like show. somebody who's dumbass dead. Y'all got to move. Like, it's, we're being serious. And, but this is where I say Anthony Kiedis did not help. No, at all. Because he then comes out and He's kind of egging them on. And then they proceed to play fire. Yeah. And it's like, okay. Like what, just like when you think about the 
because they, uh, you know, the sexual assaults and everything, it doesn't help that Flea is on stage butt ass naked, just jumping mm-hmm. around, furthering this. Everything is free and no rules apply. Like it's there's they they very much egg this shit on in a way yeah. that's irresponsible. Yeah. So now you have the festival going up in fucking flames. Yes. And, and not the, only because that, but, but also because Creed was there. Well, yes. I like to well, ignore that under the starlight. I hate Creed so much. I hate that. I hate it. I hate them so much. I like to ignore that they were there. I, they also don't make sense because it's like they were Jesus Rock. I'm very confused. Like it's it's uh, it doesn't matter. Maybe sense. they thought that they would calm them down. Yes. <laughs> With arms wide open, like go away. <laughs> we hate you. Go oh no, wait, no, it's you gotta you gotta oh it's wet arms wide open. You gotta get that sh- you know. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I, I hated I hated going to that fucking faith-based school. They made us listen to Creed. I mean, I listen to Creed a lot too, but that's because I went to school with white people. Yep. <laughs> these people were I went to school in everybody suburban. else was black, but these the teachers were all white. I went to school in suburban Cincinnati. Shit, girl, I went to school on the east side of Detroit, and it's the kind of fuckery that was happening. But it's like... Like, Coleman Young died, and this is how you niggas treat the city. Between with arms wide open and closing time? Everything. That's what they should have. That's what they should have played. They should have played closing time. (laughs) Like, it's... I love that song, though. Jesus. It also tells me it's time to go home. Because every bar in the Cincinnati... New York place. Oh, plays closing time? When it when the bar is about to close, every bar that white people go to plays closing time when it's time to go. So there's a bar here um, that plays closing time, but immediately after closing time, they play the theme song to Seinfeld, but they play it on repeat until everybody leaves. So there's a bar that I went to in Cincinnati that played closing time, and then the theme to Welcome Back Carter Carter on. Oh, repeat. oh that makes sense. I live for that. It was the theme to Welcome Back Carter on repeat. Welcome back. And I used to gig to that song. Got the fuck out. But after time three, it's like, all right, bitch, y'all gotta shut up. Like it's <laughs> after a couple of drinks, I'd be like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I love the thing to welcome back Carter. That shit is a fucking bop. Loved it when the original when Lauren Hill got her ass on there. Oh, what about when Mace used it? You like when Mace did it? We don't talk about Mace. I mean, you know, he did it. We let him rest. That, he, he needs a nap and some water. So we're going to let him sleep and hydrate because maybe we be acting up. Just talking shit on Instagram. Yeah. You just need to stop. <laughs> stop, sir. Uh, but you were talking about the, the beginning of the fires. So yeah, like, and so as the night goes on, it's like everything's on fucking fire at this point. And, but there's 500,000 people who are gleefully rioting and jumping around these fires. And now fire trucks have to get through. Yeah. And they can't. So like the EMTs talked about how once like the National Guard had to come in and they literally 
created like a riot line and was like three steps to push people back and like just kind of slowly pushing them back so the EMTs could even get in to get the people that had been hurt because when they flipped one of the cars over somebody's leg got pinned under it when they you know it was like all these people like broken bones and all this other kind of stuff they said they were transporting people out of there until like 4 a.m and they were doing through the festival they were doing a thousand transports a day most of them dehydration but that night they said between midnight and four there was like 2,000 transports or 2,500 transports just from the main stage area, not even talking about the other areas. Then they were told, stop that. You have to go get the nurses out of the medication tent. So now you got these EMTs and the national, like this circle of national guardsmen around these emts to go to the medication tent to get these two nurses who have all the medication in suitcases handcuffed to their wrist because the people were like trying to attack them to steal the medicine of course yeah so now when you they said medication have- shit i knew where that was going they have to go in to get them and take them out of the tent into this circle of national guards. And then they have to like push their way back to the ambulances to get these two nurses and this medication off of the festival grounds. This is, shit is so fucking sick. It is. It's insane. It is sick. It's like, yeah. how, like, how do you operate in this way and yes there's something to be said about herd mentality especially when you get in that in those type of settings where lawlessness kind of prevails mm-hmm. there is some normal like people who normally wouldn't do these things will succumb to herd mentality which this really did play a part into why this got as out of hand as it did yeah will go back to the inadequacies in planning and security and boundaries and rule settings and that kind of stuff that came with this festival before we even started. Mm -hmm. Because you're starting the festival not only with poorly trained security, but also security that is not even enough. Like, at the point, like... They weren't security. Like, we have this word to me things. They were not security. They were men yes, in T-shirts. Men in yellow T-shirts. But That's there, it. Was, there was one guy they talked to who was 23 at the time when he got hired for the Peace Patrol. He said by Saturday, he was like a field supervisor because so many people had quit that they just yeah. made him a field supervisor. He didn't even want to be. No. So Sunday, he's like, it got to the point where he just had to protect his team because they couldn't, they literally couldn't do anything. So he made everybody turn their shirts inside out. Yeah, hide their, hide their badges. So that they weren't attacked. They couldn't go into the main stage area. They had to just do what they could do on the fringes because they couldn't even get in there. Yeah. Get to anything happening 
in the the main stage area but it got to the point where it could not be secured anymore yeah because this the little fires weren't quelled as they were and there were multiple yeah little fires everywhere no carrie hilton washington <laughs> carrie Who's carrie i'm big i'm big Paris Hilton, Carrie Hilton, and Carrie Hilton together. I'm like, (laughs) she's dead to us. We don't talk about her. No. (laughs) She's dead to the high, very much so, but. She's dead to me because she popped her ass. She popped her whole entire black ass and that Bob wig up on fucking Instagram and Twitter talking about COVID. Talking about the 5G waves? Just go away. Let us remember you as you were. For your pretty girl rock. <laughs> I won't say that. <laughs> I mean, it was pretty girl rock or knocks you down. <laughs> what if she up might knock you down. Yeah, yeah. Comes back. That was my shit. Mm-hmm. That whole album actually was my shit. That uh, you can keep on playing with yourself. I'm gonna be with somebody else. That was that. Is that album called No Boys Allowed? No. I no. think that was the one because that was when Pretty Girl Rock was on. Carrie Hilson, uh, well, bitch. Carrie Hilson first album. Perfect world in the perfect world. Yes, that's the one because that also is the one that she because that's when. She's in that song with Timberland that was on Shock Value, but also on hers. That's mm-hmm. the way the way I are, or whatever it was called. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's fun fact. That's on the same album that Carry Out is on. You know what? Really fun fact. I feel like he wrote that for Nelly Furtado and she turned it down. He did. That's exactly okay. what happened. Because it sounds very Nelly Furtado. Because she then later did the other song with what him. Was it promiscuous? No, the one oh, with him and Justin yeah. Timberlake. That Justin's verse was a diss verse to Prince. <laughs> it was. Okay, speaking of white people causing unnecessary problems. No, Timberlake and Prince were beefing it for a point in time. They made up, but they were they had a beef. Prince kind of started it. But I mean, he did, he's but he's and he's allowed to do what he wants. So that's it. He's an elder. You just ignore that shit. You just sit down. He didn't know the rules. Timberlake didn't know the rules. Yeah, it's like who the fuck are you to come at Prince? Such like, a little boy. Sit down. Like, go into the wild. Go. Go back <laughs> into the wild. But they made up, and everything's fine after that. But you know, that was just a funny period of time that Prince and Timberlake were beefing. That was a very very funny period in music history for me. But yeah, so I mean, I guess we can wrap up this Woodstock shit because I'm getting depressed. But it's like, <laughs> um, I, I mean, all told, it's like this. I mean, we moved on from Woodstock '99 relatively quickly. Yeah, like it was. We talked about it for a few months, but it kind of became a punchline pretty fast. Because remember, it was a punchline in The Simpsons. Well, what happened was, is we we were so consumed by it for so long. We had 
the initial negative aspect of it. And then it became like a piece of pop culture. And we really became desensitized to the severity of what it actually was. And then also at that time, it was right before the millennium. And everybody was in a- And niggas was worried about Y2K. Everybody was in a frenzy over Y2K that this shit kind of came and went super fast. But when Also blasting Robbie Williams. (laughs) Oh God. And Millennium. We're not going to act like Millennium wasn't a moment. (laughs) It was. That's exactly it. It was a moment. (laughs) But it's like this, it kind of, I mean, Woodstock 99, even, they even still kind of were able to paint this with that, like, kind of fantasy Willy Wonka brush, right? Because for a while it was like everything was good if it wasn't for Fred Durst. Like it literally that's what the narrative was. Everything was um, good so Fred Durst fucked it up. That's yeah, that's exactly the story that the entity that is Woodstock 99 has always like completely and utterly like led us to believe. Mm-hmm. They've taken outside of the lawsuit, and I'm sure there's more. They've taken no real responsibility outside of fines and these monetary things. Yeah. And honestly, I really feel like those two men should be charged. Especially John Shear. Yeah, well, and Michael Lang, but (laughs) the mayor of Rome, New York, was like reelected the year after this happened with like an overwhelming majority and now he's like a state senator not surprised it's like there's very clear that everybody was like no the festival itself was great fred durst fucked it up that's it and it's not that's not what it was it wasn't what it was but also this had a major impact on limp biscuit because they definitely didn't hit the same way post Woodstock 99 as they did pre. I actually think that it fueled them. It fueled them. They got bigger. It fueled them for a while because it was like those people who were like, no, fuck this shit. We, you know, those like rebellious ones, but it's like Reese's Pieces, right? It was, this is, follow me here. (laughs) Cause you looking at me like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> post post Woodstock Limp Biscuit was a lot like when Reese's Pieces first launched. People got really, really into it for a very short period of time. Then the novelty wore off, and then nobody cared. Yeah, that's literally just like Reese's Pieces. <laughs> oh, okay, I get what you mean. Yeah, <laughs> they. It definitely fueled that. I mean, but that's also kind of to be expected. Like, they got a good 10 years out of it. Oh, yeah, they had a good run. They released some new music, actually. I know. I'm not listening to it. I did. I'm okay. I listened to some of it. If I'm going to be angsty and want to listen to angry music, I'm either going to listen to Fiona Apple, Alanis Morissette, or Garbage. (laughs) I keep it sensible these days. But the thing about this new... Limp Biscuit is like their music grew with them. That's it. Okay. I mean, well, it, God doesn't bless. Sound, it doesn't sound <laughs> like it's not like 
dad rock, you know? Yeah. But it's not as angsty as it used to be either. Praise God. It's like, this is very much music by people who grew up, but still have a, are holding on to a bit of their edge. If that makes any sense whatsoever. No, it does. I mean, I'm still like, it's still a biscuit. I mean, it's not, they're not making Nookie anymore. No, thank God. But it's not Sarah Smile either. And I'm perfectly honest, if they ever go on tour again, I just kind of would prefer to not hear that song from them at this point. Yeah, I don't want to hear it. It's just trifling. Literally. I didn't like it when it was out. I love the song. I did. But we're older now. And it's like, this is a trifling ass song. Once I understood what Nookie meant, I didn't like the song. <laughs> I was oh, like, no, I like loved it. But I was also just angry. Uh, I I just, I thought it was gross. It is. In like, hindsight, it is. This is really, really gross. And I don't know it why is trifling. I hear this. Like it's... Fred Durst needs food to pull a cocoa with uh, downtown and just go, you know what? We may break this out every once in a while, but that's not going to be the main. Yeah, and I mean, from what I understand about their more recent shows, that's kind of what it is. Like, it's they pull it out here and there, but they don't really perform it. But I think Fred Durst is like married now, and yeah, he's almost a Mima or Papa. Like, I don't know what his gender identity is, what their gender identity He has a full head of gray hair, like it's Papa or Mima. I, can't I can't imagine him hollering I did it all for the Nookie now like no it's, it's disgusting oh, stop. it's disgusting oh <laughs> uh, yeah but I would say that like, like this uh, is um the antithesis of a very um volatile honestly what I'm going to call the beginning of honestly where we are now because the entire time I was watching this documentary, I kept thinking, was like, I wonder how many of these people, um, I wonder where these people were on January 6th. I you know what I mean? think the same thing. I was and like, I it really is just this moment of white male rage. I said the exact same thing. Yeah, because these people are, I mean, this is 99. Because they're Gen These X. people are what? These people are Gen X. They're in their 50s 40s. now? They're in their 40s and 50s now. Yeah. Like, I think the youngest of the people that were there are 38, 39. Nope. They're older than that. They got to be early 40. I about to say, this was 99. So this was 22 years ago. Yeah. So 18. Yeah, they're like 40. If the youngest that was there were 18, they're like 40 now. I, I think it's important to just for history that we, when we talk about the history of white male aggression in this country, that we include this in it. Yeah, we can't. Because it never gets included. It doesn't because a lot of people try to say it was just a shitty festival, but no, it really wasn't. If you think, because that it was, was a like, symptom of the problem. That was like the the beginning of like the school shooter era. Yes. That was the, you know, and it's like these people are parents. Columbine happened like Columbine was in April. This was I about to say this, Columbine was like three months, three, four months before this. Yeah. And 
And it's like the people who were there doing these things, they're parents now or grandparents, depending on, yeah. you know, these are they're Republicans. These people, <laughs> like some of these people are the ones that were storming the Capitol. And yeah. these, some of these people, and not these people in the sense that people that think like, these people that are here or would behave like these people, like they raised your Dylan roofs and you're like, you know, these are the people who this was that generation. This is that generation. The the couple in Michigan that bought the kid the gun for their kid and he went and shot up the school. Cumber cumber bunches, cumber bunches. I've been calling them coffee crumble cake. <laughs> it's like, oh the coffee crumble cakes. But it's like because we were, we were the first kids to have school shooter drills. Yeah. You Real know, talk. it's like, these are the people that came up through that. These are, granted, the kids in Columbine were a touch younger, but not really, because they were still... They were what seventeen. the The youngest of these people at Woodstock were eighteen. Yeah, but it's like these are they're the school shooter generation. They're the Y two K generation. They're the. But it was it's weird because they also are the generation of one. It's like one of the best economic times in this country. Yeah, like which is they, why. They're the generation of excess because like they're the Hummer kids. They're the the you know, like it was it's not a Hummer. Come on now. You know the Hummer was the move in 99, 2000. I forgot about the Hummer. Hummer and Escalade. The Hummer, the Escalade, and it had to be the, the Escalade. The 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 big Denali's, the mm-hmm. the big body bins. Everything was large, everything, everything was, was extreme. Huge. Everything was extreme. Everything was, it's like, I don't want to just have, it don't have to be nice. It has to be the nicest. That's it. The biggest. I'm not just going to be mad. I'm going to be the maddest. Like, that was what this generation was. This was the, you know, the Jenny Jones era, the Ricky Lake era, the Jerry, mm-hmm. the height of Jerry Springer era. The Like, literally everything, everything was to, to 10. Yeah, it was like, we this time we lived on 11. Mm-hmm. There was never a time that it wasn't that anybody just relaxed, and this was just the culmination of what that time really was. This is the visual representation of what that time period really was about, yeah, because it was really like the most, it was a how far can we go what's the most extreme that we can what we can do right like everything literally was everything literally was that yeah um but that definitely has like we definitely see the repercussions of it um in this present day yep especially since the way that politics has morphed into another form of entertainment like Yeah. yeah we definitely see it yeah um so yeah Huge fuck you to the producers of Woodstock. Yeah, John shares awful. All of y'all need to go to hell. Y'all go to hell and you die. 
Also, stop trying to make what stuff happen. It's not going to happen. Right. And if you, here's, okay, so here's the thing. There are definitely ways to bring Woodstock back, right? It's not this, okay? There is a very specific, like, lineup that you have to craft that you can get that older generation and everyone else underneath, right? You get you a cute little um, a Shaka Khan, or if Tina Marie was still alive, a Tina Marie on there, too. <laughs> I'm turning this shit to the Montreal Jazz Festival. I'm about to say, this shit is Essence Fest now. <laughs> right? You do, you do this, like, Essence Fest Coachella blend, okay? Mm-hmm. So you got a bunch of old Black actresses, and then you got, like, I don't know, Selena Gomez, okay? Mm-mm, not Selena Gomez. <laughs> you have to build this structure of very specific people that can help craft that mood and lend to that nostalgia that you want to bring back. <laughs> Having Limp Biscuit there is definitely not the kind of nostalgia you want moving forward. No. It's just a bad idea. But no. y'all need to smoke some weed, chill out, listen to some lettuce and be inspired. Yeah. I actually have her ass there too. It's <sighs> wild. The wildest you get is the wildest you get is a um, guest appearance well, oh, so Jay Z's there for just a few songs, but you get a quick guest appearance with Beyonce. A quick one. shot of Beyonce, and then she like, leaves. Oh, three, she's not even in show. Shit. She leaves. <laughs> she's got her expensive shake and go, still a shake and go, but it's expensive wig on and a cute heel and a little bedazzled bottom. And she said, I'm here for a sec and I am out. And she'll give you a touch of. Oh, three Bonnie and Clyde. She'll give you a note or two. That's it. She'll get the hell on. (laughs) Let this nigga do blueprint and let him let him be the rowdy one. It won't be that rowdy. Y'all will be okay. Yeah, he gonna do show me what you got. You know. Right. He gonna stay kingdom come his adult contemporary rap album. Bitch. And they're gonna stay right there. I mean, it was. That's what Kingdom Come was. I liked the album, but that's literally what it was. It was firmly for the Essence Best crowd. <laughs> they, all, all in all, they love white men should not plan festivals because y'all get it wrong all the time. At least, yeah, no. I don't know. All the no. time. Let the ladies do it. Or let the sissies do it. Or let the people of color do it. Let the marginalized bodies do it. And I, mean, I guarantee now, you, we can craft a badass fucking show. Now the festival is well run by massive corporations. Corporations. Like AEG and Live Nation. Because I think AEG owns Coachella. Live yeah. Nation owns Bonnaroo. Like, it's all... So... Actually, there are no real independently owned anymore. No, they pushed them all out. Uh, you know what? Somebody needs to bring back Lil' Affair. Because I think South by Southwest is Live Nation and... Yeah, they got bought. Yeah, they pushed They got bought. Um, um, Lil' no. happened again not long ago. Like, it's like a weird, we're doing a reunion type shit. You know what I'm saying? Like, was it like a... <laughs> so Cheryl Crow was walking in the sun and then Queen Latifah oh, came out with a rap that she wrote for it. Don't think Cheryl Crow was there, but Queen Latifah was. I haven't actually. Who seen you calling a bitch? <laughs> I haven't seen Cheryl Crow in years. Is she still alive? She is. Um, she recovered from Lance Armstrong, and she's back stronger, better than ever. She's Cheryl Crow 2.0. Recovered from Lance Armstrong and Kid Rock, because remember she did that song with Kid Rock. 
We don't talk about that. <laughs> your picture away. It's like, all right. No, all we right. don't do that. We don't talk about that. All right, honey. We yeah. all make mistakes. And she had a waning career at the time. By that so. time, I was off him. Like I think I think he had he had my attention through the first album, then I was done. Yeah, that's saying then I realized his drummer's name was or DJ's name was Uncle Cracker. And I said, No, thank you. I'm gonna yep. away from this racism. But don't you remember when he became a solo artist? Yeah. <laughs> was just talking about that. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I think on our podcast, <laughs> I was talking about that. <laughs> we were. We were talking about Uncle Cracker for some reason. Yeah, I don't know why. He's come up uh, quite a bit for me never to, to, for me to not have heard his music in years. Years. I remember he had one song that was a big bop, and I was like, this makes me uncomfortable, but the song is kind of cute. Yeah, like, I like the song, but you make me uncomfortable. Yeah, like your Uncle Cracker name is just like, no. It's like, you. it just screams. This white voice. reclaiming of like, what yeah. you think is a racial slur is not okay. Which isn't a racial It's actually very mocking. I'm considering it a microaggression. Yeah. No, just an aggression. Yeah. But all right, we can wrap this shit up. Yeah, we want to thank y'all for um, popping on in each and every week. This is the first episode of the year, so great way to start it out. Um, make sure you check us out on both our social medias. I am Lee from the underscore D on Instagram, and you are... I am Shay's Beauty Diary on Instagram. If you do want to watch this documentary, it is on HBO Max. It is a music box documentary called Woodstock yes. 99, Peace, Love, and Rage. I did make references to the in-depth podcast I listened to. It is called Break Stuff. That <laughs> It's on a different network. We're not on the network, so I don't care about that. But the podcast I listened to about this is called Break Stuff. If you want to hear that, after you listen to us, we'll listen to us first. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and if, as always, if you like the show, like the show. If you want to follow the show, follow the show. Share the show with your friends, your family, the people that you hate, the people that you love. Just share it. Mm-hmm. Be kind in this world. Just share it. And That's don't it. go around setting shit on fire. That shouldn't be set on fire. Um, there are reasons that you can. <laughs> and you should. If it if it shouldn't, I said if it shouldn't be set on fire, don't say okay. Unless it's that 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 nigga's car didn't set that on fire. If it shouldn't be set on fire, just shit on the hood. Just shit on the hood. You interpret that as you will, because you have your definition of what should and should not, as do I. They like they told me on the podcast I could do it. No bitch, just shit on this nigga's hood and be done. All right, bye, y'all. Go. <laughs> good, All right. good day, good morning, good evening, bye, y'all. <laughs>